how's everyone doing this morning? Yeah, yeah, I see so many uh, new faces around. It's just great in summer. We have this burst of new people coming. So even, whether you're here for the first time, whether you're just visiting, uh, we welcome you. And uh, we truly hope that even if it's this, the first and only time you'll be in our midst here, may God speak to you, um, to your heart powerfully this morning. Um, we are continuing uh, the, the series, message series, Where Are We Going? We've been exploring these um, principles that should guide the church of God. And like a roadmap, where does God want to lead us? Where does God want to lead His community? And we were looking at all these principles. Today is the, the fourth message in this series. We started around, uh, in, in, when we celebrated five years, we invited Pastor Eddie from Riverside Kashkaish, And he shared with us the first principle that a church should, above all else, um, what, whatever is the circumstance, the church should just be grateful for whatever God has been doing in each person's life. For even the small things, whatever the circumstances is, may the church be, um, may people look at the church and see, wow, these people, they live with gratitude for whatever single thing God has been giving in their lives. Ruben then continued and he shared about a church who is united in the same love, in the same purpose. A church that looks around and is united with one another. Leadership from the church that cares about their flock, that serves their flock. And the people that respect the leadership and there's this beautiful unity um, among one another. And then Gabby, last week, uh, she challenged us to seek more the, the divine authority. The authority of, of God into our lives so that we could be a blessing to many. So where are we going in all this? And uh, yeah, we always start this message series and they always point out that one thing that inspired them for this title was uh, Jode's never-ending singing, Where Are We Going? from Dora the Explorer. And I don't know if you have heard her or not singing, but me being her husband, I have the privilege to hear her every day. So for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, here's a small clip. This was probably already the third or the fourth time she was singing, so she even gave me time to, to record it. But yes, where are we going? And Gabby, last week, she, she, she touched um, in some, on something that I wanted to share this morning because it was inevitable. If we're seeking the divine authority of God, if we, we're asking the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts, for what? So that all that power, all that authority given could be expressed in acts of compassion towards one another in this community so that we can grow together, but above all so that we, would be, um, to, we could act and be uh, salt and light outside of these uh, church walls. And, um, and I want to quote uh, what she even wrote on the newsletter um, this week, which I think is a pretty good definition of what compassion is about. And she, and she wrote, We are challenged to ask God to break our hearts for what breaks His. We are challenged to ask God to break our hearts for what breaks is and to actively, actively seek God to use us in order to save a hurting world. God, what does break your heart? 
So I want mine to be broken as well for the same things. How do you see this world? How do you see one another? I want to know you more, God. And we just sang that so that we can know how your heart moves for, for the people. So that I can mirror you, God. So that I can be your agent, your ambassador in this world. So I can work together with you, God. So I can have the same vision aligned and be a blessing to this world. And so this is what we're going to explore this week. The theme of compassion. A church that needs to be characterized by unmatched compassion towards everyone. And something that also stood out for me last week was to realize how Jesus defined his mission statement when he officially started his ministry. He had already been around um, um, some, some, some towns. He had already taught in a few places. And so people knew this guy is unusual and, and has authority in what he says and he's, he knows his scripture. So when he goes back to his hometown in, in, in Nazareth, he's invited to, to teach, to share something uh, at the, the synagogue. And Jesus decides to open the scroll of Isaiah. And that marks the beginning of, the official beginning of, of, of his ministry. And this is what he chose. Um, and I'm reading. This is what he chose to, to read as his mission statement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. That the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. One would probably expect that Jesus would come and say, I am that Messiah you've been waiting now for a long time. I am that politician. I am that ruler that you all need. I have come now to set you free from all the oppressors that are in your land. And I am going now to establish the kingdom of God here. And people are probably expecting to hear something like that. And Jesus would not be wrong in saying that. And he actually initiated that. But the way Jesus decided to, to, um, to express that mission statement was with Isaiah was pointing out that he was coming to bring the good news. He was coming to release those who were poor, who were captive, those who were blind, those who were, those who were culturally considered cursed by God because their circumstances were not the best. And many times people, and you'll see even in, in Jesus' ministry, he's trying to shift this paradigm. Those who were blind, those who were poor, and, and those who were not would look at them and said, you must have done something wrong. Your sins are too many, and maybe God cursed you, and therefore they were marginalized. But Jesus says, those are the ones I came to bring the good news. Those are the ones I came to express compassion. I'm opening my heart and you will all see how I am gentle and lowly, how I am humble to all those who are in need. God is not forgetting anyone. God does not forget those who are poor. God is not forgetting anyone in any circumstances. So Jesus chose to express his mission statement through the path of compassion. And so what I invite you this morning is to explore a bit more of the heart of Jesus. What does Compassion means has a principle of the kingdom of Jesus and therefore of his church. 
So we will dive into what probably is one of his most famous parables. If you think about parables of Jesus, maybe the first one that comes to your mind is probably the prodigal son. And the second one might be the Good Samaritan. <laughs> I heard it somewhere. Yeah, like, you know, one of, and it is one of the most known parables. And even the expression, someone who did good to someone, he, be, he, he acted like a Good Samaritan. He almost became also culturally ingrained in the way we speak. So we are, we're going to dive and explore the parable of the Good Samaritan and what um, all of that has to do with compassion. Let's turn into Luke 10. Um, you can either turn in your Bibles or, or follow uh, here the reading. I'm uh, quoting from NLT version. But first, let's look, before we look at the parable, let's look at the dialogue setting between Jesus and a law expert, or how some Bibles say a lawyer. If you're thinking about a lawyer, has the terms you use now for lawyer in the, in the legal area, forget it. <laughs> It's a lawyer, is an expert on the religious matters, on the religious law. So this guy, verse 25, he stood up. He, know, he knew Jesus for some time now, and he stood up, and he wanted to test Jesus. So he asked him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, Well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Let's pause here. Interesting, uh, this is Jesus' style. He very rarely just answers the, a question uh, that someone puts on him, especially when he knows he's being tested. So he questions this lawyer back. And he questions, well, how do you read the law? How do you summarize the law? And it was common in these times for these rabbis, these teachers, for these people to actually summarize the law uh, to one another. And this guy probably has heard Jesus summarizing, putting his own version summarized of the law, or even Jesus' disciples. This was common to be said. So this guy says, well, the summary of the law is, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength in your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus actually agrees. We see in other passages, this is the way Jesus has summarized the law as well. That's an amazing way of summarizing what the whole law of God is all about. And I just want to take the first, um, just the first detail here. Why would Jesus choose to summarize it? And what does that have to do with his heart, a compassion heart for the others? Because it is through the love of God that the believer is to approach people. First, to love God is that what is, what is required in order that you might be able to love your neighbor. First, love God with everything, and then love your neighbor as yourself. People who try to reach to their neighbor, they soon might find out that their neighbor might not be very lovely. The, the, not this Friday, the other Friday, we were here at the Family Fridays, and we usually open the corridor, and we have... Uh, clothes available for, for our de benevolence department, Lisbon Project, to give away things. And we even bought and, and made several um, baby supplies pack. 
So there was a family that came to Jodei, and they came complain that we, as Lisbon Project, we've never helped them with baby supplies. And they have babies, and they are in need. And they complained that to Jodei, and Jodei felt, oh, how come? But only then to find out that they had been to this space, we call it the social store, they have taken clothes for themselves, they have taken more clothes for themselves than they should, and they just took a bunch of bags, and they even took baby supplies that were allocated to another families. They took for themselves, and then they went and complained to Jodei. You know? And what do you do when you hear something like that, right? If you go to the world... If you go and let's help out, just because the world is in need, you'll click quickly find out that the world might deceive you. People might lie to you, trick you, or even misunderstand your motives. So if, if you just go and you want to be compassionate, but if you, are just, um, if you are just sustained by the responses you might get from the other people, probably very quickly you'll become grumpy and hateful of all these things that happen. But if you go because God is love, if you go because you've understood the unchanging love of God that is able to transform your life and that love that is able to flow through you, then you will serve the others. You'll be able to love your neighbor through that love of God. And I just found that this detail of how Jesus expressed the law is already a challenge for us to and call us to just love God and to be so intimate with God so that His love can flow through us. And therefore, we wouldn't be sustained by the responses we get, but we would be sustained only for this love of God that is unchanging. But anyway, back to the story. The lawyer wanted to know, and if you notice um, his first question, what must I do? Do I need to do something to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you actually can do something if you're so concerned in having eternal life. But if you want to do something to get eternal life, you must meet this standard. You must jump this high. What did the law say? And you must be able to love consistently, every day, all the time, with all your heart. Love God and love everyone with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. If you do this, you will inherit eternal life. By this time, I think we all agreeing and all thought, thinking that we've all have failed at some point to jump that high, to achieve that standard. And I don't know if the lawyer was um, understood that at, at that time or not, but the text tells us that he wanted to justify his actions. So probably the lawyer thought, well, maybe the loving God part, I'm, um, I'm able to do it. Well, if I go to the synagogue every time, if I give my tithes, if I pray a lot, if I practice all the traditions, well, that maybe, that maybe will, um, should me get straight with God and we'll get a tick on that. But who is my neighbor? And the text just tells us that he was trying to justify himself because 
Luke knew um, as he wrote this, and Jesus knew as he was dealing with this man, that this, they were um, concerned with the people around them, and the list of their neighbors was probably a very short list. Well, for a guy like this with high standards, a neighbor would definitely, would not be a Roman. Um, those who were oppressing their land would not be any other Gentile, someone that was not a non-Jew, um, would not be a Samaritan or anyone. Probably their neighbor was someone that was healthy, wealthy, probably someone of the same status, probably someone that this guy would also be able to express his love because many wouldn't be qualifying to be his neighbors. And so Jesus is understanding what's on this guy's heart and his mind. And once again, Jesus does not reply to his question, who is my neighbor? So in Jesus' style, he tells them a parable that would later set up a question that Jesus would have for this guy. So Jesus said, well, you seem to know your theology right. You seem to know the law and how to summarize the law. You even seem to know or you think you know how to love God in this way, following all the traditions. But what I truly want to know is if you are willing to act on it. And that's how Jesus moves on and shares the parable we all know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Verse 30. Jesus then replied with a story. A man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the, on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So let's explore a little bit this parable uh, together. Again, maybe it's a parable we've all heard. Maybe you even see some sort of like kids drama and it's always fun because they are able to beat another kid and all of that. But as we, sometimes when the parable is so familiar to us, we might lose the details. And this is where I want to make a thread between uh, all these characters and all the setting of this parable and hopefully speak to your heart as this parable surely spoke to many people's hearts. Priests, let's look at the three characters. So a guy is walking down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's beaten up by a bunch of bandits. We don't know the identity of this guy, neither the bandits. But then we know the identity of three people that will have three actions towards this man. And the first was a priest. Priest has this guy an expert in the law. And those priests were known to be wealthy people. So if this guy is traveling, Jerusalem to Jericho was like a 27 kilometers distance, a priest would definitely not be hiking that distance. Someone who had possessions, he could most probably afford to ride a horse or a donkey. And so the priest would have the ability to see a wounded man left 
half naked, half dead, and would be able to carry this guy in, um, in his horse or in his donkey. But what might have been the struggle in the priest's mind as he saw this guy? Well, the text tells us that the victim was stripped of his clothes, and so there was no possibility, there was no way anyone could identify this man. By the way they used to dress, they could identify if he was a Jew, if he was a Samaritan, if he was a Roman soldier, you know. There was no way. The text tells us that he was naked by, by the roads. And plus, this guy was half dead, unconscious. He was beaten up severely. So there was not even a way for this guy to shout out for help. And therefore, you could understand his accent and you would identify him as a Jew or non-Jew. So the priest looked at this guy, and maybe in his head he, he started to complicate things a little bit. Well, if he was a Jew, especially a law-abiding Jew, then he would have the responsibility to reach out and help. But what if the victim was a non-Jew? What if the victim was one of those Romans they hate, or one of those Samaritans they cannot stand, and the only good Samaritan is a dead Samaritan for them? Who was this guy? So if I would actually come and approach this guy, in my own sets of law, I would be ceremonially unclean because this guy is there, there's blood, there's things around. So if, I'm, if I reach out to help this guy, and especially if he's not a Jew, then I'm complicating my life. Because if I'm clean, I have to go back to Jerusalem, perform a week of all those rituals that they had to purify themselves and all of that. And so these things are working in his heads. And with all these complex thoughts, his verdict was passed by on the other side of the road. So a wounded man, a half-dead guy, is totally neglected. If no one comes and helps after him, this guy would probably die there, stripped of his clothes and beaten up. So the priest, on top of his riding animal, passes to the other side. There comes a Levite after him. Well, um, Levites would be um, assistants to the preach in the temple. So there's either the possibility that the Levites came a few minutes, hours before, or there is a possibility that the Levite was eventually part of the group that the priest was traveling with. Because a healthy priest would also most probably not just travel alone. So maybe the Levite was uh, part of that group. Um, and so when Jesus tells the story, I, don't, I actually believe that he was part of this group or people would immediately connect. Because I don't think just a priest comes alone, then after a while comes a Levite alone. That just doesn't make sense. Most probably there was a group coming. And this Levite also starts complicating things a little bit. And in all these complicating matters, this is the first arrow I think Jesus was throwing to their heart. Either to damage or even to make them fall in love by Jesus' challenge. So the first thing that we can learn from compassion is that compassion isn't supposed to be something complicated. You see the priests complicating things a little bit, and you'll see a Levite probably thinking, well, if the priest, a guy who's, you know, um, my boss, if he did not help, or if he, in his um, 
battling in the tension, should I help, should I not, am I going to be unclean or not? If the priest made a decision, well, who am I to kind of upstage the priest? So he also complicates um, his situation. And how many times when we have an opportunity to express compassion to someone else, whether it's a physical need or whether it's a spiritual need of someone, how many times we tend to complicate or overcomplicate all the whys, all the hows, all the shoulds that, um, that are brought into that situation. And how many times we actually decide to keep in our safe zone, safe place, and we decide not to reach out and probably neglect someone's spiritual, mental, physical need, just because things here are, there's too many questions. Well, Jesus criticizes both the priests and the Levites by their way of complicating what should be an act of compassion by, to, towards someone that was naked, half dead. So the Levites, um, the same way um, the priest had set the precedence to which the Levite could pass uh, by with an eased conscience. Well, if the priest did not do it, I don't, need, I don't think I need to do it as well. So he decides to follow the big boss and also he did not help this guy and neglected this guy. And the text says he also decided to pass to the other side of the road. Second arrow to our heart. Compassion. It's from anyone to everyone. How many times may we think that if the church is to act in compassion, maybe that's the, the job description of the pastors, of the leadership team. Maybe that's just the, the job descriptions of what missionaries should be. Maybe that's the work that social workers should do because they've studied all those things. And maybe my job is just to stay back, maybe throw some money and I would be okay. If the big guns didn't do it, or if the people who have been around this, who probably know best, if they've decided not to, who am I to do it? Same hashtag, I am Levite thought, kind of. But compassion, acts of compassion should be expressed from anyone to everyone. And so, sadly, the Levite decides to cross to the other side of the road, and we are left with our third and only option. A Samaritan was coming down the road as well. It's just interesting to think how Jesus chose caref very carefully and intentionally who the hero of this story would be. Jesus is teaching, talking to a bunch of Jews. He's talking to a, a law expert. And he decided that the hero of the story would be someone that would never be a hero to a Jew, a Samaritan. Imagine in these days you travel to the border of Ukraine and you're talking to a bunch of Ukrainians and you tell them a story where the hero of that story is a Russian soldier. How would, that, uh, how would they process an information like that? But Jesus wanted this uh, plot twist to, to 
to challenge and to work on, on their minds. So Jesus does mention a Samaritan that was traveling on that same road. But unlike the two other travelers before him, the text tells us that the Samaritan was moved with compassion towards a guy he could not identify as well. A Samaritan was moved by compassion, and that compassion led him into action. The Samaritan could have just felt awful about the, this guy's situation. He could have been overwhelmed by a sense of pity, and he could have just walked by the other side. He could have felt some sort of compassion, and he could even have said, well, I'll pray for you and move on. I feel your pain and would move on. How many times we've also dealt with someone who's struggling and maybe he's just said, I'll pray for you, I'll feel your pain. That's true, that's an awful situation. But then we move on and maybe we'll forget about that person's situation the next day. But this guy, he was moved by compassion in such a way that he decided to do something. And notice how the Samaritan, he must make up for the actions of everyone else. He compensated the failure of the people that have walked that road before him. So first the text says that he had to render first help, which is what the Levite could have done. Second, he gets this man into safety and he gets this man on his own animal, which is what the priest could have done in, with his own animal. And the last thing this guy has to do was to pay for this poor man's lodging who cannot pay for himself because the thieves have taken away all his money. So this guy uses the resources he had available. He administers first aid. He bounded his wood, pouring oil and wine, a cloth to wrap the man. He uses his riding animal and he uses his time, his energy, his money, whatever was the mission that the, the, the Samaritan was going on. He stops what he was doing and he helps this man, compensating for what the other guys did not do for their failures. Another arrow to our hearts. Compassion restores what sin has broken in this world. There's so much damage around us. That's, you turn on the TV, you read any platform feed, there's just damage around it. Sin has vandalized everything. So I believe that the church of Jesus in this world must be unmatched by acts of compassion as we try to compensate the damage and the destruction that sin and his agents have done in this world. And if you, if you explore more and more the, the three years that Jesus had on earth, he was not only a good teacher, uh, someone who went around and, 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 and taught the scriptures, but he was moved daily with compassion and he compensated for the failures of others and for what sin had destroyed. Remember his statement, I came to bring good news for those who are poor, for those who are captives. I came to release them. I came to help all of those that are naked. And half dead. 
even if they don't know they are naked and half dead. But I came to compensate. This is an arrow to our hearts. How can we be moved with compassion to help spiritually or physically those that have been destroyed and damaged by sin? When we look at the text, we see that the Samaritan not only helps this guy with the resources he helps available, but he, the Samaritan, he goes further and he risks his own life. How? We don't know why, but the Samaritan was in Jewish territory. And the text tells us that he leads this guy to an inn, to a hostel, to a lodging place. Where I also don't believe there's just a random inn in the middle of, of the road. So he had to take this guy to the nearest town. Could be, I don't know the, the geography, but could have been Jericho, could have been another town. But this Samaritan is, um, finds himself in Jewish territory with a half-dead guy on his animal. And he's probably just expected to unload this guy in the border of the town, make call from a distance, someone come help him, and then let's move away because I'm a Samaritan. People will not want to, to meet me. But this guy takes him to an inn. And furthermore, he, he takes him there and he pays from his own resources to the Nairies, something that uh, was, um, would cover the bill for food and, and lodging for a week or two. And, and he says, well, when I come back, I will still pay the rest if, if necessary. And the text doesn't tell us, but he eventually had to escape down. He had to leave. Well, were people waiting for him outside the, the inn? Um, what, has, what happened there because this guy was just in, in, in enemy territory? Was the Samaritan also beaten or killed? Because maybe he brought a Jewish guy. Maybe the Samaritan beaten him and he was saying, we don't know. But the Samaritan was moved with compassion to a point where he risked his life. He exposed himself to potential violence to himself. You see how the story is so radical. You see how Jesus is using this hero, characterizing this hero's actions, and he's challenging us to be moved compassion in such a way. You, Kenneth Bailey um, wrote this, and I'm quoting. The saving agent in the story breaks in from outside, a Samaritan to the Jews, and this guy extends a costly demonstration of unexpected love to the wounded man. He breaks in from the outside and extends a costly demonstration of love to the wounded man. In the process of this story, and in the process, um, yeah, in this process, Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about his mission and he's interpreting the life-changing power of costly love that would eventually climax in his own cross. You know, Jesus was also not just a teacher that was going on, summarizing the laws, telling people to be moved with compassion. But Jesus himself, his life was marked by acts of costly demonstrations of love unexpected to everyone. And the biggest act of love was him allowed to be hanged on the cross. Move with compassion for everyone that he knew sin had 
broken down. All the poor, all the blind, all the captives, each one of us, Jesus extended his arms in order to save us. Jesus as well, not just moved with compassion, but because of his compassion, because he loved his father and he knew his father so well, was able to love his neighbor and to love each one of us. So moving to our conclusion, we then shift, text shifts us again to the conversation between Jesus and the lawyer. Remember that Jesus was warming up his final question to this guy as he brought this parable. And so notice Jesus' conclusion and the way he challenged this guy. Verse 36. Which of these three, Jesus is now asking him, which of these three guys I mentioned in the story, who do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law, having a brain, he replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You've answered well. But you notice that the first, the, question, the first question or the second question of the lawyer was, who is my neighbor? What's my list? Who can I tick off? Who is my neighbor? That question is not answered. Instead, Jesus reflects on the larger question and he asks him, to whom must you become a neighbor? The same way that this Samaritan guy became a neighbor to the wounded man. And the answer is to anyone in need. At a great cost, the Samaritan became a neighbor to the wounded man. So in this story, the neighbor is the Samaritan, not the wounded man. We could rewrite the, the title of the parable instead of being the good Samaritan to be the neighbor Samaritan, the good neighbor Samaritan or something. But this was the, um, the paradigm shift that Jesus wanted to um, challenge this uh, expert of the law with and that we're bringing this morning. The kingdom of God has a universal neighborhood. We are called to love every human being on the face of this earth. Because every human being, man or woman, no matter their ethnicity, their religion, um, no matter their, where they stand, we are called to radically love them. Not just feel compassion, but be moved by compassion and show compassion, show mercy in a very practical way. And this, my friends, is very radical. But this is what Jesus told him. And this is how this episode ends. By Jesus tell him and us, go and do likewise. You go. And you go and you become a neighbor to the person next to you. Compassion reaches beyond our own complications. Our own what ifs. Compassion should reach beyond our own resources, our own plans and schedules and our own needs so that we can become a neighbor to the person next to us. And I love this verse in Hosea 6 
got fed up with the traditional systems of putting everything into do's and don'ts, putting religion into a box, into traditions. God says, I want you to show love. I don't want you to offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. In other words, God wants us to show love, to show compassion, to be to, 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 yeah, to be moved by compassions more than he wants us to be here every Sunday, more than he wants us to know every song by heart or verses, chapters by heart, more than he wants us to throw our thighs into the box. God wants us to show love, compassion, more than just the sacrifices. God wants us to move from any law from any any rule to move from that towards mercy stop trying to win god over by doing mechanical things by doing routine duties but in contrast live outpouring costly acts demonstrations of love and expecting acts of love towards your neighbor the same way as jesus set that standard if you ever been um in have you ever been in the christ the redeemer statue here in lisbon have you got the chance to go there yeah no if you're here for a few days maybe it's a if the weather is good maybe it's a, it's a nice place to go um, um in the bottom of of the statue they 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 quote isaiah 61 jesus mission statement the spirit of the lord is upon me to bring the good news that's that's the the foundation it's on that statue and i love that christ is facing the city of lisbon his arms are open wide as he looks at lisbon and as jesus is overlooking the city of lisbon he's asking us here living in the city of lisbon to follow that mission statement to be empowered by the spirit so that we can extend acts of compassion towards the city for us to be a church that embraces the city that embraces our neighbors whether they know they are half dead or not spiritually dead whether they have resources or not jesus extends his arms towards the city and he's asking his church to do the same so if god has placed here in lisbon he wants you to become a neighbor in lisbon or wherever you're traveling from the questions i want to leave you today is how can you wherever you are how can you become a neighbor today how can you become a neighbor today who do I know who do you know that is in need and how can you help in the in a practical way who do you know that needs spiritual guidance who do you know that needs time to be with to be cared to be listened who do you know that needs food or accommodation who do you know that needs someone to become a neighbor to this person is God bringing anyone to your mind right now? 
Third question, how can I invest my skills? How can I invest my gifts? How can I invest what God has given me and serve whether in this church, whether at the church you came from, whether at any other organization you know about and you respect? How can you be used with the skills that God has given you to also serve and become a neighbor to the others? I want to invite Barry to come. And um, Barry will share with us um, a song, some, something that he was also, a voice he was also gifted with. Uh, he will also um, outpour it out for us. But as he, as he shares with us this song, I want you also to take this time and meditate in these questions and, land, and let this teaching land in your heart this morning. Mm-hmm. 